0: We've all heard of the gig economy. There are millions of people in today's world who earn a living as a freelancer. And a good portion of these freelancers are enabled through online platforms, both in finding gigs, as well as learning new skills. In today's episode, we chat with Matt Cooper, the CEO of Skillshare, which is an online learning community for people working in the creative field, from design to illustration to photography and beyond. Over nine million users are on Skillshare, and according to Matt, they are only beginning to scratch the surface of what the platform could become. Some estimates place the global creative market at $2 trillion, and in the US alone, $700 billion. Matt has extensive experience in building and leading companies enabling the gig economy. He shares with us his insights into the growing community on Skillshare, as well as his keys to success and leading an organization, we hope you enjoy the show. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us today. Maybe what we could do to kick off is just hear a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, you have a you know really good experience with companies that cater to uh, the freelance community. Um, so maybe we could uh, hear about a bit about your background and, and then. You know, we'll head into freelancers uh, as well as what you're doing with Skillshare.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, appreciate you having me. Um, yeah, so quick background I, I started out my career in investment banking. So I was at uh, JP Morgan uh, for four years doing telecom media technology banking. Um, decided I had had enough of the uh, 80, 90 hour weeks and uh, moved out to California with my then girlfriend, now wife. Uh, in learned that being an unemployed telecom banker in silicon valley in 2002 was not a great position to be in um and so my dreams of a of a private equity job died quickly uh and i ended up just through the course of networking kind of getting into the whole startup scene so my uh first true startup i went to work for a guy who was running a outsourced recruiting business had a great run from 2003 then 2008 hit and all of a sudden selling recruiting services to venture-backed startups was not such a great uh, market So learned a lot on the way up and a lot on the way down Um, And then went to Odesk, which is now uh, Upwork and my role there ran operations or customer service trust and safety but then kind of as an offshoot of customer service ended up building out the enterprise business, which uh, you know, started at zero, and by the time I left, it was about a $100 million top-line business, so just had a phenomenal uh, five-year run at Odesk, Upwork, um, then left to be the CEO of Visually, which was a similar model to what we were doing on the enterprise side at Odesk, where we had a freelance back-end uh, designers, animators, engineers that we would package together to do visual content work for big brands and agencies. So kind of continuing on that, uh, you know, gig economy, freelance economy theme. Um, we, that was a bit of a turnaround situation. So we got that, we got visually sort of cleaned up, uh, sold it in 2016. And then I joined Skillshare, uh, as the COO originally in November 2016 and then took on the CEO role about a year later.
0: Great. And, um, you know, this is a fascinating area. Um, I guess the internet has really enabled, you know, both small and medium sized businesses as well as large businesses to recruit, you know, talent from almost anywhere, uh, in the world. Um, is, is that the case with kind of these various platforms? Uh, I know Upwork has a fair amount of kind of talent, uh, that you can recruit, um, abroad. Was it, was that the same as visually and as well as now at Skillshare?
1: Yeah, that is sort of a common thread running through all those businesses. Just the, the access to talent that you can now have um, is pretty amazing. And, you know, again, you don't, it doesn't even have to be offshore. If you're a company sitting in New York and you can hire someone in Memphis or in Salt Lake city, uh, just not being bound to the talent that happens to be within Commuting distance of your of your head office—it's uh, changed a lot of businesses, and you know, particularly on the on the Upwork uh, side of things. Just seeing not only how it impacted the freelancers and their access to amazing job opportunities, no matter no matter where they happen to sit, but also seeing the small businesses who were using that access to talent to do things that they just could never have done otherwise. Um, and you know, sort of carrying through today at Skillshare, seeing. The, the teachers and the experts from all over the world said so we've got about 8,000 teachers, 60% of them are outside of the U.S. And seeing them share their expertise and be able to monetize that expertise, and similarly as a student, doesn't matter where you're sitting, you can now learn from experts wherever they happen to be. So, um, you know, whether that talent is in kind of a traditional employment relationship or it's more of a information sharing, it's a pretty amazing thing for both sides of the equation.
0: And and now I guess focusing on Skillshare, um, you you mentioned there's, there's kind of teachers all, all over the, the world. Um, who is the, um, I guess the primary, uh, consumer or, or student or, or learner? I'm not sure what the, the term you use, but who, who's the kind of target customer here?
1: Yeah, so our most of our content focuses on creative skills. So design, illustration, photography, painting, uh and so you can kind of think of our core users, about half of them are coming for professional reasons. So they are designers or illustrators or animators who are trying to stay current, learn new skills, learn the latest software, uh, or cross-train in other uh other areas of expertise, uh, or it's a personal, it's more of a passion. Project. So they like to do watercolor. They like to do digital photography. Uh, they like to sketch for fun. Um, so it's roughly split between professional and passion. Um, so the, the, it is a global community. So again, we've got the 8,000 teachers. We've got over 9 million registered users on the platform. Um, 62% of all new users coming onto the platform are outside the U.S. Um, so you can kind of think of the, you know, the, the professional side, the stereotypical 28-year-old freelance designer, about 80% of our teachers are freelancers, 50% of our students are freelancers. Um, and then on the personal side, it doesn't really matter what your day job is. You just happen to love to do watercolor or, or digital photography.
0: And and so I guess is is the idea that, um, you know, these, these freelancers, maybe they're you know, they've always been a freelancer, or maybe they left uh, their day job, or maybe they're they're doing this as a side hustle. But they they learn a new skill that that they're passionate about, and then they, you know, perhaps go on a platform and then sell their skills to you know to another business.
1: That's right. Yeah, and and you know what we hear when we talk to kind of on the professional side of the equation. When you're a freelancer, particularly if you're, you know, working remotely or you're working from home, uh, you don't have the same cross-pollination that you would have in a traditional office. So if you're working at a big company and there are 30 other designers that are working and eating and hanging out around you, you pick things up through osmosis that you, you don't have when you're working in your basement. Uh, so for us being able to provide a community of experts around those skills, it just gives them uh, a way to pick up What's hot? What's new? What's cutting edge? Uh, again, that normally they wouldn't have access to in their particular geography. You
0: know, nine million is, is nine million users is, is is a big number. How much room is there? Do you think to run?
1: I mean, we think it's huge. I mean, we think we're just scratching the surface. the The demand for creative skills both, again, personally and professionally, is massive and growing. Um, some of the market research uh, statistics that we have say the creative industry globally is a $2 trillion market. Uh, just in the U.S. alone, the creative economy is more than $700 billion, and something like 75% of all Americans have a creative hobby. So I think the there's just an overall shift in focus, again, both – professionally and just from a mental wellness and personal health on creative skills. You know, when you think about all of the trends towards automation and uh, you know, ultimately creativity is going to be the hardest thing to automate. Um, So that those skills and that expertise is going to carry a premium in the years to come.
0: And is there, you know, maybe one or two classes that, that uh, you know, it has gone, you know, viral, so to speak. Is, is there, does there tend to be like a, a popular, a very popular segment or or even one teacher in particular
1: yeah so uh, overall the highest um through our highest number of minutes watched typically in design illustration and then fine arts particularly watercolor uh so one of our more popular teachers is aaron Draplin. he's a graphic designer that does a lot of great work around logos so he's done logos for uh obama and nike and he's just done some amazing things and he's just a very funny, entertaining personality. I mean, I say if we if we put up a class of Aaron Draplin brushing his teeth, people would watch it. Um, but true. then also uh, we launched a class, second class with Thomas Frank, who's a productivity guru, has a big YouTube following. His class on Skillshare has been our single highest performing class of all time. Uh, so he's done some amazing things. And then, uh, there's a a woman named Jessica Hish who specializes in illustration and particularly hand lettering. Uh, and she's extremely popular, does some amazing work. So we definitely, you know, we have some teachers who kind of had following, had a following outside of Skillshare and have brought that community onto Skillshare. And we have other teachers who have developed that that following and, and that brand recognition because of their Skillshare work. So it's a, it's really interesting to see kind of people rise up through the ranks and, and build a, a following of fifty sixty thousand 60,000 people on Skillshare.
0: So is, is there something unique in the way you, um, you know, frame out your classes uh, where, you know, a viewer, um, you know, couldn't get the same type of instruction from YouTube? Uh,
1: yeah, I think the, what we hear about YouTube, I mean, YouTube is interesting because in theory it's our biggest competition, but it's also our number one source of new users. So we do a lot of influencer marketing on YouTube, and that is literally the number one source for us. Uh, and I think what we hear, you know, YouTube has some great content, but the signal to noise ratio is off. Um and it's not optimized for online learning. It's optimized for entertainment. So we, you know, A, we have very strict quality control guidelines. So the content that you're going to see on Skillshare is good. It's high quality. The audio is good. The video is good. It is structured specifically for online learning. So each class is broken into sort of five to 10 minute lessons. Uh, and then there's a there's a project component to every class. So we want people to watch the class, but then actually produce a project, upload it, get feedback from the teachers, get feedback from students. And you know the act of even just putting something out there, even if it's not very good, um, that's ultimately how you get good at things is just by getting reps in. So we want, we want our, our users to actually put that knowledge to work.
0: And are the, uh, the teachers, uh, are they, uh, do they have an incentive? I presume to, um, you know, you know, to, to recruit or attract more uh, mm-hmm. viewers. How does, how does it work on, on the, I guess on, on both sides, I presume there's a subscription component here.
1: Yeah. So on the student side, it's subscription. So it's either in the U S it's either $99 a year or $19 a month. And then you get access to all 20,000 classes that we have on the teacher side. It's similar. It's a similar payout model to Spotify. So we take a percentage of our revenue that goes into a royalty pool that gets divided across the teachers based on their share of the minutes watched in that month. So if you have a hit class and you get a lot of minutes and a lot of eyeballs, then you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, and then we also pay teachers when they refer students to the platform. So our our top teacher last month made about fifty-seven thousand dollars just last month. So um, there are some teachers doing quite well on Skillshare.
0: That's phenomenal. I guess you could you could draw a comparison to how you know Netflix works. If you have a bunch of users, um, you know, that are paying that monthly fee. Um, and um, if you can cont- continually load good content onto the platform, then they'll stay on. Do you, do you look at it that way at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the sort of clear signals of retention is when your favorite teacher launches a new class, you're going to stick around to watch that class. So as we see, our yeah, you know, we have a a virtuous cycle now on the supply side where our our teachers, the teachers who create good content. Because our revenue growth has been so significant, our teacher earnings have been rising. They're earning more money, which incentivizes them to produce more and better content. It provides a better incentive for new teachers to come on and teach. So we actually, we get all the content we can handle coming in organically through our teacher community, Um, and, uh, you know, the best teachers do quite well. So it's really, it's a very healthy platform dynamic, which is always what you're looking for in these types of businesses.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I I guess, could you, I know this is, this is geared more, you know, all towards the creative side, but say there's an art teacher out there working at a, um, you know, elementary school, could they, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, try to supplement their, their income uh, by, you know, learning how to, you know, be a, um, you know, productive teacher on your platform? Absolutely, and and we see a lot of
1: that. A lot of our a lot of our teachers are again, either consultants or they're professors or you know they're local teachers. Yeah, it, for many of them, we sort of are taking the place of that you know teaching job at the local community college. We're just now giving them a glo- global audience to to pursue.
0: and And do you think they're going to be expanding beyond um, kind of the types of classes you have currently? Or do you you go kind of deeper into sub-segments? It's
1: a little bit of both. I I mean, the beauty of the open platform and having 8,000 teachers out there is they're constantly looking at what's hot, what's new, the new software that's coming up, the new technologies, the new techniques. um, And you also get some interesting geographic cross-pollination. You know, the style that's hot in Japan may be very different than what's going on in Croatia. Uh, So I think the... Having that broad swath of experts out there constantly thinking about what's hot and new and what our audience might be interested in, we get to spot a lot of the trends that are coming out of that out of that community and that uh, keeps our content fresh and interesting and gives us a depth and breadth of content that would be really hard for us to keep up with if we were just purely producing it
0: ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and um I guess we 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 touched on this earlier um with regards to how much you know room you you have to run, but are, are there parallels you I guess you could draw to you know maybe uh, other companies who've 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 been in you know a similar uh I guess a similar space um uh, of how you know they've been able to to expand. Um you know, like how you know, I know we we say it's enormous, but like you know, how how, how would you quantify like where you think you could be? You know, call it five ten years out.
1: Yeah, you know, there are some really large and interesting businesses that have been built. Based on a creative focus, you know, Adobe immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 30% of the classes on the platform are either about an Adobe product or an Adobe product is used in the class. So a lot of overlap with their audience. Uh, you know, Etsy's done very well. Canva uh, is another, uh, they're still private, but uh, they've done quite well. Uh, just raised money at a massive valuation. Shutterstock, um, so there's a, a pretty long list. I mean, Apple, Yeah, you know, Apple was originally focused on creative. So I think there's a, a pretty long list of companies that have been built, you know, amazing uh, markets and, and technologies and, and user bases around a, a creative focus.
0: Got it. And then switching gears a little bit here um, to the kind of leadership side, Um you know, notice that uh, you know the company is is growing nicely. Um, you know, you have a tremendous you know number of of users, uh, and um, you know on both sides. Um, you know, and I I think you're about a uh, hundred employees now. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. just just coming up on hundred. Yeah.
0: And so you know, you're you're able to um, kind of produce quite a bit from you know this you know kind of core. A team of about a hundred or, or how, how do you um you know and, and, and you're probably you're the right person to ask here because you've been through you know various you know key roles within organizations but you know how do you think about you know i guess motivating your your team or, or just ensuring um that you're on the right path and and, and everyone's producing
1: yeah. I mean, we, you know, we obviously talk and think and evolve kind of our corporate values and, and how we approach that day to day. It really does come from the top down. And, you know, I've worked very hard over the last couple of years to get an executive team in place that not only does their job well, but does it the right way. Uh, and I've had to make some hard decisions on some people who were very effective in their roles, but didn't represent the culture that I wanted to to build and how I wanted the company to run, and yes, yeah, so our values: transparency, community, curiosity, and impact. And you know, for me, I'll just highlight the two that um, I think are probably most relevant to this conversation. Transparency is just very important. I right? think the what you see is what you get. No politics, no BS. Um, we share as much information with the companies as we can, and that comes with an expectation that our employees have the understanding maturity to handle that information. Um, you know, it's not fair for me to expect them to grab a bucket if when something's on fire if I don't tell them where it is or what to do about it. Um, and then, you know, the impact is something we, we really focus on, not just in your day job, but we think that this is one of the rare businesses that is both a really strong sort of – there's a really strong economic engine that drives our business. I think it's one of the best better business models I've seen. But then, when you look at the actual user stories and you look at what people are able to do with what they learn or with the money that they earn, and again, whether that's a profession or passion, like there's just a very tangible impact on people's lives and um, the the anecdotes and the stories that we hear. I talk to two students and two teachers every week, and the things that I hear back are just unbelievable. And and that's I think that's hard to find. And so we try to keep those. Those stories and those anecdotes of how we've impacted someone's life, you know, day to day, we try to keep those stories front and center.
0: And I, I believe you have a portion of your employee base that that works uh, remotely. Um, mm-hmm. How do you, um, I guess, manage? Is there a difference in the way you manage kind of your your remote team versus your on-site team?
1: Uh, there's definitely some nuance in what you have to do day to day to make sure they feel included and communicated with, and they can communicate with us. And, uh, yeah, this is some of the the muscle memory that I bring from working at Upwork, where we had roughly three times the number of remote employees as we had, uh, working on site in our San Francisco office. So the, there's infrastructure things, just having good telecom equipment, having good video equipment, being able to hear, I mean, it's, you know, can't hear, it's kind of hard to feel included. Um, so we, you know, we've done a lot there to make it just easier for us to work with a distributed team. But then just little things of, you know, when we do our month, our uh, weekly town hall meetings, they've got video access. They can see everybody. Sometimes we'll do lunch in one of the conference rooms and. Anybody who's remote can log into the video conference and everybody sits and has lunch together. So, uh, and then we fly people in at least twice a year so that they can attend big meetings or our quarterly kickoff meetings or the holiday party. So, uh, you know, it does take more work to have a distributed team and there are some routines and habits that you have to build to make that effective, um, but it's definitely worth it because you end up with a just a much more diverse team, a lot of different viewpoints, Different ways of looking at the world. If we're trying to build a global business for global users, we can't have everybody living in a one-mile radius of, of, of uh, Williamsburg in and Brooklyn.
0: And, and do you have some uh, uh, idea of what the right proportion um, is? Do, do, you, do you generally like to keep it, um, you know, keep the on-site segment uh, at a certain, you know, percentage range?
1: No, I mean we have we've shifted over time and when I started we had zero distributed team uh, or maybe one or two and now we're up to 25% of the team is distributed. Um, and then, you know, there are companies that have done very, very well that are 100% distributed. So Mm -hmm. I think you just have to adapt your style depending on what your mix is. In some ways, I think it's harder to have a mix. If everybody's distributed, it kind of levels the playing field. If everybody's local, then you don't have to worry about discrepancies. So when you're somewhere in between, I think you just have to be hyper vigilant that that, that those remote team members feel like they're, they're just as part of, just as much a part of the team as everyone else.
0: Got it. Uh, super, uh, super helpful. Um, and then, um, I guess, what are uh, a couple, you know, key tenets that you, uh, you know, like to keep in mind as, as you, um, you know, lead an organization? I mean, you would mentioned some of these uh, things you pay cl- close attention to with, with, with transparency. Are there a, kind of uh, some overriding uh, things that, that help, you know, guide you on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've really tried to align all of those things around the values. Uh, and, you know, getting values right is hard and it's not an exact science. And there's always a combination of, you know, these values we absolutely deliver on every day. And then sometimes it's a little more aspirational and there are things you need to work on and you don't always get it right. But I think the um, just keeping those front and center, you know, again, like trend for us, it's the transparency, community, curiosity, impact. You know the community that 's our our version of team teamwork having a one team mindset the company's goals come before the departmental goals which come before the individual goals and if we 're all aligned that every now and then one team is going to have to scrap the plans that they had laid out because we need to shift resources to something that's more important for the company's success we're going to do that without hesitation and it's great it's it's a good thing um, the curiosity you know you look at our business. We need lifelong learners. We need people who are open-minded, who are not just open to feedback, but actively seeking it and sort of proactively walking in other people's and other teams' shoes. Um, and then really honing in on, on that impact of what we're doing every day. And, and particularly in startup land, you know, we are, uh, you, you never have enough time, money, or people. Uh, you're always strapped for resources. There's always more that you want to do than you can get to. So, we have to think really hard about where we're putting our time, where we're putting our resources. And, you know, we just, as a company, we try to run very lean and run very efficient and we don't want to be cheap. Nobody wants to work for a cheap company, but we just want to be very deliberate about where we put our time and money. And, um, you know, there are times that we're going to be scrappy. You know, the, the running joke is that I'm the AV guy, cause I know how to fix all the audio visual equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously that's not always the best and highest use of my time, but, you know, sometimes things just got to get done. So I think we try to find the right balance between being scrappy and lean, but then being willing, being willing to make investments in the right areas, take bets when we feel like it's the right thing for the business. And, you know, you win some, you lose some, you learn from it and you move on.
0: Well, Matt, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time here. You've you've been uh, generous uh, with your time spending it with us. So appreciate it and and congrats on all the success to date.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you having me.